grief can be lonely and isolating, especially for those experiencing pregnancy and infant loss. At times, it may even feel as if the sorrow might consume you. Welcome to the Birthies Loss Support Podcast. Join me, your host, Michelle Smith, as I hold a much-needed space for grief, remembrance, and the journey of healing through conversations with grief and trauma experts, the sharing of stories of loss and love, as well as guided meditations. Hello and welcome. I'm very grateful you are here. In this episode, I am very honored to have with me fellow birth and bereavement doula and birth professional, Brianne Griffiths. Brianne is also a lactation consultant and newborn care specialist. I'm very grateful to have her here to share her very open and at times raw story. She's a wealth of information. I know that you'll gain so much from this episode with her, whether you are a grieving parent or a birth professional. Welcome, Brianne, to the podcast. I am so honored to have you here with me today to share your story of motherhood pregnancy and birth and loss and love. Thank you so much for having me today. I'm so grateful. Let's just dive right into your journey of motherhood. Awesome. So I had our first son in November of 2011 and I had a really rough pregnancy. I had hyperemesis through my pregnancy in and out of the hospital multiple times, but little boy joined us in November of 2011. Uh, We did experience some time in the NICU. So I got to kind of walk that space and had to kind of work through some of that trauma later on. Mm -hmm. But he just had some transition issues and we made it out and home. How long was he in the NICU? One week. One week. Okay. Yeah. You know, that transitioned into our breastfeeding journey and the hiccups along the way that we had there. And then after that, I guess about a year, no, two years, two years after we got pregnant again, super excited, provide a sibling for our oldest, Ethan. And I'll never forget, we were you know, in the middle of our first trimester and had gone to the bathroom my husband is a firefighter paramedic. And so he was working on a shift and just middle of the night, put Ethan to bed and went into the bathroom and to pee. And that's when I was introduced to what a miscarriage was. And so I remember when I looked down and everything had happened, I remember thinking to myself, like, I don't, I think I know what this is but I definitely don't think I know anyone that's ever gone through this Mm -hmm. and I don't know who to call. Right. That point, you know, we had just had our first OB appointment and it's nighttime. I don't even know a contact for like the after hours number yet. 
And so I remember sitting there for hours. I was felt just paralyzed on the toilet. Like I, I didn't like, what do you do? I, it was period level bleeding. I don't think you call 911, you know, like, mm-hmm. what do you, what do you do? And so I couldn't even call my husband right away, but eventually I called him and, you know, he was just at a loss. Like, well, do you think you're going to pass out? Like, no. Okay. Well, maybe put a pad on and go back to bed, go to bed, you know? And so eventually that night I did end up calling the number and getting an after hours number. And they instructed me to, if I wanted to, I could go to the emergency room or I could stay home. And so I ended up finding a midwife online that was willing to see me. And then long story short, we had confirmed it you know, I did pass and it confirmed it was a miscarriage. And when I passed, like, I remember just like not knowing, like, do I flush? Like, what do I do? You know? And I didn't think there was an option. So we made that choice to, to flush. And that's something that will always, always stay with me. In that time, I learned what losing a child and a baby that was so wanted for however long felt like something that I realized I was one in four. And as I started sharing with family and friends, I knew more people than I even could count on two hands that had gone through a similar situation. Right. But it's just not talked about. Yeah. It it was not talked about in my own blood relatives and close friends of many years had been in my space and I had no idea. And so I remember thinking to myself, I don't ever want another woman, if I can have anything to do with it, to sit on a toilet and not know who to call or not know what to do. Mm. I know I can't save the world or help every mom, but I knew like there had to be something. And so I began searching as I processed and grieved. I began searching for answers and solutions to maybe how I could be a part of awareness. And that is what led me to finding Still Birth Day mm-hmm. and found out, you know, through them about becoming a birth and bereavement doula. Found a lot of good resources as well as a grieving mom on that site, right? As well as the professional side of things. Yeah. And it's so interesting as you're sharing, I'm just going to interject in your story for a moment because you talk about that decision to flush. Do we flush or not? What do we do? And when I had my miscarriage, I decided to, for lack of better words, fish my baby out of the toilet and then wrapped the baby in a Kleenex. And it was an early loss, so it didn't quite look like so much a baby, but it was my baby. And I brought the baby with me to go to the doctor, and then they kept the baby. And now knowing what I know, I might have asked to have the baby back so that I could bury the baby or have some kind of ritual, but this was goodness, 31 years ago, probably. And it's interesting because I remember feeling like I had to, well, I fished the baby out and like there was shame around that. So it is such a difficult decision. Like people like, what did you do? You fished it out. 
You fished your baby out of the toilet. You stuck your hand in the toilet to get the baby. And so much judgment and shame around that. And now we know you can put things in place to help receive the baby. So the baby doesn't fall into the toilet, but Mm -hmm. you're just, we don't know. You don't know. And it's such a difficult situation that you're in. And what's right for one mom may not be right for another. Exactly. We made different choices with our future or our previous losses that I'll go into, but you know, even when I've shared other choices we've made, I try as a provider to really like let moms know all of the options, Mm -hmm. you know, and each mom and each loss, even like I've made different decisions with each loss. And I think ultimately it's bringing awareness that none of those decisions, I don't think honestly, even like looking back now, having five losses now total, I don't think any one of my losses was wrong, including mm-hmm. flushing all the way down to cremation. I don't think any one of them were wrong. Right. I made the decision with the information I had at the time. Exactly. And that is what I always want moms to know. Like it doesn't have to be one or another. It doesn't have to be neither are right or wrong. It just my as a provider, my goal is always to let you know all hundred options, plant in a tree, plant in a backyard, put in a box, cremate, whatever, any possible thing, like possible, you know, a cheesecloth, like whatever it may be, just so that you can, as a family, sit in that space and decide for that individual loss, what would bring the most comfort, right? Because at the end of the day, that's kind of what anything, whatever decision is made of the baby is to bring you the most peace and comfort yeah, in, in your future healing. And least amount of shame involved. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. And knowing that you didn't feel like it was your only option, like you didn't have a choice. Right. And especially sometimes, whether it be providers or hospital facilities, sometimes they don't even know or don't give the mom potentially all. So women can sometimes, moms can sometimes feel well, that was all I was presented, right? And right. So I thought that was my only choice. Right. But yeah, so that that really opened my eyes in our first loss. And we had two subsequent losses in the early times. And I also learned during that time, like I did not, since then, I guess I should say, I've learned more about testing. Where at the time it was just, well, your cervix was not favorable or shortened. So when you had hyperemesis to probably put a lot of strain on your body and your body rejected it. And that was it. It was a closed thing. It was, that was it. Right. And do you mind touching on real quickly more about hyperemesis for the listeners? Yes. So hyperemesis, also called HG for short, is where morning sickness kind of goes to the next level. And HG or hyperemesis can have a wide range of spectrum, but usually it is excessive nausea and vomiting that leads to severe dehydration, urine levels that are off, potentially affecting even the kidneys, deliriousness and blurred vision because you're so dehydrated that you need medical intervention, whether it be through IV fluids, medications through an IV or daily pills 
or even through, I had a, a, what they call Zofran pump, where you get a little dose every nine minutes. And so hyperemesis can be last the entire pregnancy, which was in my case through the entire 40 weeks, but some moms can still have HG and it be for different periods or weeks of your pregnancy. But again, it kind of goes from more of the uncomfortable or maybe just not feeling the greatest through morning sickness to more medical intervention is needed. You begin to suffer severe medical consequences and needing more intense medical intervention because of the excessive throwing up. Right, right. And one of the theories was that because you had put so much strain on your cervix, vomiting so much in your first pregnancy with Ethan, that that impacted your cervix. Is that correct? Correct. Yes. Okay. So we had our two subsequent losses. And so then we had sought out answers after our third loss. And we ended up meeting pre-pregnancy with a high-risk doctor in the central Florida area. And so we met with him, Dr. O'Leary with maternal fetal medicine, high risk. And so when I met with him, you know, he kind of was like, okay, we're going to need to get on things. And we basically came up with a plan and then we began trying after we came up with a plan. And so once, as soon as we found out we were pregnant, we immediately, we called him up and I was suffering and very sick. And so he had me come right into the hospital and admitted me and basically put me on Zofran and fluids in the hospital until we could get the Zofran pump on its way to my house. Wow. And the home healthcare nurse, until he talked to her and said, I'm on my way, I'm in my car, then I was allowed to be discharged. So he was really a voice for me in getting me set up with proper treatment so I could avoid getting to a space where I'd suffer, you know, high ketone levels in my urine and kidney infection and just my organ systems failing on me because I was so dehydrated with the previous ones. So he wanted to really jump on that and was just absolutely amazing and sat in my room, my hospital room for an hour until we got it all figured out. And wow. And then I started that, but then he followed me. So I had to come in every week, sometimes two times a week, and he would check my cervix and it would shorten. And so he then gave me the option of doing a cerclage where they basically stitch up your cervix closed or to continue monitoring. And so we did make an agreement that we would monitor, but if it went any shorter, you know, or any opening at all, we would go for the cerclage. We were able to just monitor. And so we monitored for a while. And I was seeing at the same time that I had him kind of monitoring the meds and the cervix and the issues at hand, I also had a home birth midwife. And so she handled all my prenatal care. Which is amazing, I have yeah. to say, of Dr. O'Leary to be so gracious and accommodating about a home birth and midwifery care because some high-risk doctors, I'm just saying, will not do that. Yeah, for sure. And he was a big proponent in like collaborative care. And, and it, again, it, not for every case, right? There are some cases where, you know, home birth may not be the best route, but he's very right. open to, especially if it's something just related to pregnancy. And granted, if I went in preterm labor, 28 weeks or 32 weeks, 
then yes, he would, I'd have to go to the hospital and they would take over care for my birth. But in his philosophy, if I made it to 37 weeks, the things he was seeing me for was my health and the health of my baby through my pregnancy and keeping my cervix closed. Mm -hmm. So if I made it to 37 weeks, then at that point, my cervix can open because we need a baby to come out. And then I would have, you know, now the hypermise, I'm about to deliver the baby. The hypermise does not affect the baby actually coming out. So he was very open to collaborative care. And he said, if, if I see you my last time at 37 weeks, you're all, you're all good to go. I'll sign you off. So I was very thankful that I had a voice and that mm-hmm. he heard my wishes. And of course, it may not be for every mom, but for me, it was something I so wholeheartedly, it was a strong desire for me. And I wanted at least the chance to know. I was okay that if something came along, I was in no way wanting to put my baby at risk. Obviously, I just suffered three losses in three years time period. So I no way wanted to put my baby at risk. But if everything went well through pregnancy and I made it, I just wanted to know that it was an option. And he was very open to supporting me through that and communicating with my home birth midwife and sending over notes and just allowing that aspect to, allowing that, that choice in my voice to be heard. And so we did, we made it to 40 weeks, one day to be exact. And I went on to deliver a beautiful baby boy who is now five years old. <laughs> I know. Um, and I just, I'm going to interject here to say that Brianne is kind of glossing over how intense her pregnancy was. Yes. <laughs> because you were on strict bed rest, you had the Zofran pump, and you're trying to take care of a toddler. It was a very intense period for you. Yeah. So, you know, elaborating on that a little more. One, I, it was a pregnancy after losses. Right. Which is scary. That is so scary because every time, you know, or three times before then, at some point I had looked down and, or gone into a provider and found out that there was no longer a baby. And so every pee, 40 weeks, every time I urinated for 40 weeks, I remember taking that toilet paper and just, there were some times I'd hold my hand with the toilet paper, staring straight ahead. And like, I just didn't want to wipe or look down yeah, because I didn't know what I was going to find. Yeah, And that's, you know, it's one thing, I mean, it's hard enough to do that for a week or something, but for 40 weeks, there was never a point that I, you know, especially at, at that time being a birth and bereavement to live from a couple of years at that point, I knew that there was no week that was like, oh, you hit a golden week. You're good to go because I had seen loss at all age, at weeks right. of gestation. Right. There, it wasn't like, oh, once I hit a certain week, a huge weight came off and I was good. Now, yes, of course, as I got further along in the pregnancy, there was a little bit of comfort that came knowing I had made it past a point of that there could be a chance, even if I went into labor, that baby could still survive. And so each week there was a little bit, but it was still a very heavy weight for those 40 weeks from the trauma of all the losses of just not knowing. And then on top of it, even though I did have a pump, it was not a magic pill. Right. I still was in a constant state of nauseousness. I did not throw up 40 to 50 times a day, 
but I definitely threw up a couple times a day and still was always in a constant state of nauseousness. And I had to make myself eat. And then at times there was only certain things I could get down. And sometimes it was Coke Slurpees. Mm-hmm. And I dealt with the guilt of, oh my gosh, today all I drank was 7-Eleven Slurpees. Like, so maybe going to be okay. You know, like I didn't really provide nutrients. Of course, we know thankfully that we do. It's us more that gets kind of the depletion of nutrients versus them. But still, you just, you want to give the best to your baby. Right. When you drink right. Coke Slurpees all day, like it can be challenging. And of course, I, you know, I, so navigating the space of, and either way, just a constant state of nauseousness and feeling yucky makes you exhausted. And then at the time I had a four-year-old and who was also later diagnosed on the spectrum. So we had our own challenges with his special needs and therapies and doctors and all while feeling nauseous, you know, and the pump is also not a walk in the park. Like you get injection sites, kind of like an insulin pump and you have to change them out Yes, every 24 to 48 hours. Yes. Yes. I remember that with you too. Yeah. Yes. I have to find a spot. Yeah. Yes. I had to find different spots because you can only go so many places. You're kind of, you do your size and then your stomach. And I was also allergic to the adhesion. Mm. So it was always red and like bruised. So they would hurt. And for anybody that's ever done Zofran, I would rather push out a baby than Zofran constipation. Oh it my gosh. was, yeah, I was impacted many, many, many times. And especially with a little dose every nine minutes, you know, if yeah. you got a little bug and you take one pill, you're probably fine. But even on all kinds of stool, everything um, that honestly, looking back, that may have been the most traumatizing thing for me especially like my paramedic husband had to sometimes take care of things and help me get the situation resolved. And that was 10 times more painful than pushing a baby out. And so it was definitely a very long 40 weeks from, you know, the aspect of still feeling yucky, having another child at home to take care of, the constant worry on bed rest. And then because of the cervix shortening, I wanted to avoid preterm labor. So it was a constant bed rest, pelvic rest, legs up. Yeah. So yeah, it was, it was a very, I haven't really reflected on it in a little while. It was a very challenging pregnancy, honestly, so challenging that our, you know, we, we didn't try until four years later. Mm. Because I really like every time I thought about trying the flashbacks and now I loved birth. We had a beautiful home birth, absolutely beautiful. Yeah. And I got to experience hypnobirthing sessions throughout my pregnancy, which helped dramatically. And I was able to find some peace through a lot of it. And to this day, I am forever thankful for Michelle's voice through all of it. (laughs) Thank you. And so, you know, I was able to find some peace and I was able to achieve my home birth and it was beautiful and everything I could have ever imagined and more, but it did not take away the 40 weeks that I had gone to, to get there. Right. And so that brought a lot of trauma in trying again. Yeah. It was also really hard to be, I, I felt um, that I was not like, I couldn't be the greatest mom and wife. Right. You know, 
You were so sick. I mean, yeah. you were. And I have a, a quick question. Did you get headaches from the Zofran as well? Oh, yes. Yep. So lots of headaches. And so with that came, you know, if anybody's ever had a migraine, just kind of think you're nauseous, mm-hmm. your head mm-hmm. lights bothered me. And then I'm trying to get food and drink down to stay hydrated to help the headache. But then that's hard when you're nauseous, you usually don't want to eat and drink. Right. And so literally, but then if I gave myself, you could give yourself like an extra dose. But when I did that, it made the constipation even worse, which when you're constipated, that makes you nauseous. Mm-hmm. So it was literally this vicious cycle of just how to combat the headaches versus needing the Zofran versus the constipation. Like it was just a vicious, it was a vicious cycle and a very long, long 40, 40 weeks. Like, and you know, everybody else, of course, I had friends at the time that were pregnant and baby showers and happy times and belly bump pictures and all of that. And for me, I almost had to grieve Yes, because I had no happiness. Like I found peace and comfort, you know, super thankful, right. And blessed with a healthy pregnancy. Like each week I remember on Sundays I would pray, thank you God for one more week. I may not have been grateful all throughout the week with all that I physically dealt with, but I got to another week and I want to praise you and thank you for that. But there was not happy times that I skipped around a baby store. I actually didn't go into a baby store. I ordered online only like I did not skip around happy to baby store. I didn't have a happy baby shower. I didn't have a baby shower at all. I didn't, I was sick for 40 weeks, you know? And so whether it was from the Zofran or that was preventing me from throwing up hundred times a day or whatever, but I was in some way or just down on bed rest. Like I didn't, there wasn't one day or even one minute that I was not reminded that pregnancy is not easy on my body. Right. And so it really took all the joy out of anything. You know, I, I would get these ads or these emails or the apps and it's like, congratulations, you're, you should be doing this or you should be doing that. Or you should be booking your baby shower or, you know, whatever this happy moment or, or go exercise, yes, yes, go take or, the walk and you had to lie on the couch. Yeah. Yeah. Or go to the baby store. You should be looking at this product now or yeah. whatever. And that was, or you should be taking a bump picture. And I remember just like thinking a picture uh, at that time. Like, I mean, I'm glad I took, I did take pictures and, and it's amazing to reflect back on and, you know, look at the beauty that God did. But at that time, like the last thing I wanted to do was remember this or definitely to take a picture of it. Right. Right. And so I watched other people, of course, I don't know if Instagram was around the time, but definitely Facebook, you know, and these reveals, all these different happy times and smiling pictures. And I just felt so alone, you know, and actually that's when I really discovered high premises, Facebook support groups. Mm. And that kind of helped me get through, whether it be talking about some of the TMI things of the constipation or, you know, just the feelings of lack of being a good wife at the time, because all I did was lay in bed. I couldn't contribute to helping or just knowing that I wasn't alone and that there were other women that at times like absolutely hated their pregnancy. Of course, no way did not hate their baby, but the pregnancy portion of it mm-hmm. and just why me, and you know, just that space to share in a safe space. A lot of people would kind of shame me like you had three losses and now you have a healthy pregnancy. Like, what are you complaining about? 
Yeah. And that was a huge shame for me. Like when I would grumble and complain, you know, whether it be at my own home or to friends, like it was a tough space because yes, I was blessed and thankful for a healthy pregnancy. And I don't want to say the word, but I want to say the word. And I also had to grieve the loss of a happy, you know, uh, health, like it was a healthy pregnancy, but healthy mother through pregnancy. You know what I mean? Like while my baby was okay through it. Like carefree pregnancy. Yeah. Some moms, right, will go through general morning sickness in the first 12 weeks, but they have an sooner end. Not that those 12 weeks aren't long for them, but mm-hmm. there's a much sooner end for them. And I knew based on my past pregnancy with Ethan that there was a good possibility that this was going to be till 40 weeks. And it it did. I threw up all the way up until the he Tyler came out. Well, I did not at any point, you know, was not thankful that God had blessed us with another sibling, something I prayed for for many years. It was still, it's nice to kind of honor the space of it was very rough. Yeah. And then there was the grief of you had really felt in your heart that you were going to have a little girl and planning for a little girl. Yes. Gender. And then you found out it's a boy. And again, you should just be grateful. But that I sibling and a healthy baby. Yep. Yeah. Gender disappointment was something that was really difficult for me. And it was really difficult to talk about in the space of, I did, I had a healthy baby that came out at 40 weeks one day in a home birth tub with no complications, breastfeed amazingly, slept amazingly. But in those weeks after I had longed for a girl and that that's been something I've desired since I was a little kid. And so it was deep rooted in me to have a baby girl. And while I absolutely love my Tyler and I love my son and I rock at being a boy mom, um, I learned gender disappointment is a very real thing. And I had to take that, allow myself that space to grieve yes. the loss of what I had hoped and prayed for of a baby girl. Yeah. And we had conversations about that yeah. and I was grateful you could be so open with me and trusting me with that because some people could be judgmental about it. Yeah. And like, I think for so long too, like I had really thought it was a girl and you know, all the wives tale tests and everything showed that. And there was a space when we, you know, and buying both gender clothes. And so to let that go and sell the girl clothes and all that space, it was it was difficult. I had to kind of shut the closet for a little bit in that and allow myself to, to know that it's okay. It's okay to have a healthy, happy, perfect little boy and still grieve a little girl that I had longed and desired so much. Right. And not that I doubted God's decision for the gender of my child, but I feel like he does hear our hearts. And so I felt like he heard my heart and my grief as well. Mm-hmm. And now, you know, my boys are nine, so going to be 10 November and five. And I know (laughs) I'm blessed every day with getting to see their brotherhood bond. And I feel like God has really just kind of comforted me through the years of, you know, I always think 
I still have that longing and desire for a little girl. And so he's comforted me along the way. Like, listen, this is, this was the plan I had, but I know that you're still grieving. And so he shows me little glimpse of just their brotherhood together Mm -hmm. and in just in his plan, you know, just is revealed a little more over the years. And so that's been a blessing just to have those moments, um, especially when I'm you know, I see a little girl or I go to the girl section or something. I feel he follows up with a little glimpse of them just being boys and playing in the dirt when I get home and asking to have mud fights with me. And, (laughs) you know, and just, it always, he always comes at just the perfect time when I've had kind of a rough moment or day of a situation with my girl feelings and desires kind of got brought up. He comforts me through that, but yeah, that was a tough space. I think I had been so open with my losses by that point, but that was one thing that just felt so shameful mm. even complain about, or, you know, I had such a rough pregnancy and I had three losses and this healthy boy, how could I even shed a tear over a gender? That was, that was a real thing. Yeah. Yeah. And loss takes many different forms. Yeah. It's not just the death of someone. There's all kinds of losses that we incur. Well, and that's it's so true, whether down to gender, even in you know, the professional through bereavement, I've walked moms through chemical pregnancies or different things. Maybe they were, you know, they were trying that month and they peed on the stick and it's negative. I've learned that's a loss. It's a lot you had hoped for that month to be your month of conception. Right. And it wasn't. And so you, that's a loss in itself. You, you know, and so loss 100% takes different forms, whether it just was the hope for a baby that month and your period showed itself. And that can be very difficult and grieving process to go through. And if you do that for months on end, that also can be very challenging every month to be reminded that your hope is that space that you wanted long for that baby that month is not there. Right. And then of course, all the different where you do have a positive, but you know, chemical pregnancies or blighted ovums and all these different things all the way to one week, two week, 40 weeks, like no matter what stage or what you were holding on to and hoping for and the dreams and aspirations you had for whatever period you were in when it's not, it is a loss. Yeah. Yeah. And it looks so different. And with the birth of our baby at 40 weeks, full-term birth to a healthy baby, and maybe we had dreamt of that home birth. Yes. And we had to transfer or we wanted a vaginal birth and it ended up a cesarean. That is a lot. Yeah. And you and I know also too, as doulas, sometimes somebody wanted their epidural. And they were counting on that epidural. Yes. And their birth went so quickly, they couldn't get it. That in itself can be a loss of that birth as they dreamt of it. And it could even be traumatic. And there's, as you've alluded to, elements of trauma that can come along with loss and grief as well. Any portion that a mom has dreamt of her birth that she didn't get, I have seen can be a loss, whether it be you had wanted one doctor practice and you were hoping for Dr. A, but Dr. B came 
or you wanted your mom there, especially with COVID, you know, with only one visitor. Yeah. You wanted your mom or your doula. Yeah. I had a mom that is currently grieving me right now, you know, due to not being able to have a doula due to COVID policies. And we have worked together for many months this year and she is grieving not having me there. And so anything you can dream of, your mom there, I mean, down to you wanted tea lights in the room with that. I mean, nothing in loss I've seen, nothing is too little or too silly or too whatever or too in comparison to the fact that you had a happy, healthy baby. Why are you worried about tea lights that weren't in your room or a person that wasn't there? Like you have a healthy, happy baby. That should be all that matters. That statement is so honestly like heavy for a mom that is going through grief over whatever aspect of her baby or birth or story or journey, it really can downplay what she's feeling, but what she's feeling is very valid and very okay. And then there's the aspect of kind of knowing, sure, yes, what grief is appropriate. Like if three years later, you still can't get out of bed because you're grieving, then yes, then we need to look at resources to help mama. But in general, like right after and the weeks leading after, like if there's grief going on, like it is okay to hold that space into whatever you dreamt of not happening. Right. Right. And I feel like we even need space to process our birth. Yeah. Or our miscarriage or our stillbirth, like all of that, we need space to process it. And if we have other children to care for, if we have to go back to work, Mm -hmm. if we have given birth to a healthy baby, there's not really a lot of room when you're up nursing every few hours and trying to get sleep. And so I'll often tell clients, give yourself space to process and grieve and mourn Yeah, your birth, no matter what trimester, right? That you give birth in. Yep. No matter what trimester. Yep. And I think it's different for everyone, like, and even every birth, like some of my losses, I wanted anybody and everybody to come over, you know, or some days of certain losses I wanted to be surrounded and other days I just wanted to be alone, you know? And so my losses, I definitely felt more comforted with people around and others. I took a week to not really see anybody right away. And so I think another thing I've learned in loss is there's no right or wrong. And there's my recent loss in March, people sent a lot of memorial items, if you will, whether it be a stone or flowers or ornaments with a date and name. And at that time, like those things, you know, I have a little wall and those things is what I longed for, Mm -hmm. you know? And then some of my other losses, I didn't have as much of a long of that. Neither one of my babies are any less loved because desired one thing over another for comfort, you know, and I get a lot of times family or friends will ask like, Oh, I have a neighbor or a sister-in-law or whoever that just experienced a loss. I'd like to send something. And what's the best thing to send? And I don't think there's one thing, right. That's going to be like, Oh, because I got this today, my grief's all gone, you know, but there are things that helped me, whether it be taking off some of the load. So I could have that space to process through meals or a house cleaner or a babysitter. Mm-hmm. Those things were huge. Um, paper plates, someone drops up paper plates and I didn't have to wash dishes, at least plates for a little bit. 
That's a good idea. Yeah. <laughs> so paper plates, meals, childcare, just to watch the kids for a couple hours. So I could just sit in the space mm-hmm. or just picking up the house a bit or cleaning down the bathrooms real quick or whatever. Like those things are huge. And then also for me, like it was just the items, you know, just that someone thought of my baby. Cause I think that's probably the hardest thing I've struggled with after all my losses was that obviously every, if someone calls me right now, my mom or sister or best friend, we're supposed to have phone each night. You know, she'll say, well, how's Ethan and Tyler doing? You know, everyone always is going to, how are you doing? How's Ethan and Tyler? So their names get mentioned all the time. Their teacher's calling, how's Ethan, you know, whatever. Right. And so, but your losses don't get recognized. And so you can sit in a space where to you, they were very valid and very real. And when your due date comes or the date of your loss, whatever dates you recognize and no one remembers it. But meanwhile, it was one of your biggest, it was just as big for you as the day you delivered your healthy baby boy, you know? Right. So it's such an impactful day, but the world doesn't remember it. And so I always tell people like, if you have a little calendar, like jot it down. Like I absolutely love getting a text on either due date or lost date and saying, just thinking of you today, you know, remembering your baby, or if you named the baby, you know, the name, and there's all these memes out there that say for a grieving mom, some people have a concern. They don't want to bring it up right. or say the baby's name in fear that they might make it worse. But I never forget in my mind at all times, I'm always thinking about all of my children, angel babies or earthly babies. And so I don't forget it. And so you bring it up is now there are times like right after where I'd say, I don't want to talk about that aspect just right now or something like that. But a year later, you know, on the date, someone reaching out and saying, just thinking of you, I'm thinking about it all day. And most all of my moms are as a professional thinking about it all day long. And walking into Target and Publix, just going about life and, you know, when they're to say happy birthday to your kid or whatever is, can be very difficult. And so I always tell people like just reaching out to them. And even if it's just thinking of you today, it is very impactful and having those little tokens, whether it be a little ornament or something that reminded you of that reminds the mom of them, like just some kind of token that you remember. Yeah, I feel like that's especially important when we've had a miscarriage because there isn't necessarily something tangible left that we can hold or touch or remember our baby. And when I've had the honor to attend a stillbirth, because I do placenta encapsulation. Like one of the last births I did, Dr. Chambers, she was amazing, but I was saying, hey, I'd like to make some prints of the placenta. So I made prints because that's tangible. Yep. Now they got to hold their baby in their arms, but that's like a tangible connection. And then I, she gave me a piece of the umbilical cord and I dried it in a heart. Like that's a tangible that they can mm-hmm. hold. This is a piece of my baby. Yeah. And you can have the ashes too, if someone chooses to cremate, but for families that choose to 
bury their child, having something tangible is so powerful. Yeah. Uh, it makes an impact. Of, mm-hmm. I can still feel connected. My baby existed. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Those are the words I was looking for. Yes, here it's real. Yeah, your pain is real, your grief is real, and your baby existed. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I remember, yeah. So yeah, so we kind of sat in that space and enjoyed our little baby boy, and I was now five and crazy and wild, and we absolutely love him. And, you know, we got to the space of what do we want to do, right? I know the journey of how hard the pregnancy was, so it was... Do we, do I do that to my body again? Do I do that to my family again? So we just really gave it to the Lord and we're necessarily, I guess we weren't protecting. So we were just kind of allowing God to kind of enter that space if he wanted to bless us with another little one. And with everything last year with COVID, we just kind of sat in that space for a little while in December of 2019, God blessed us with a baby in utero. and so. January and February, I was terribly sick again. And so I went down, I tried this time diclegis, just kind of like a combination of Unisom and B6. I was trying to avoid with Zofran being so traumatic, the constipation, the headaches and feeling as awful as I did. I was really trying to, diclegis was not at least an option or brought up to me back in 2016 when I had Tyler. So I really wanted to try something different. So we went down that route and it definitely helped, but I kind of sat in the space where it would throw up like a couple times a day. One day I had like a really bad day where it was, couldn't hold anything down, but just a constant nausea and bed rest. And so I had an appointment with O'Leary end of February, we got to hear baby's heartbeat. And so we heard baby's heartbeat and it was great. And then early March, that first week there, he wanted to see me again to see my cervix. But he was like, it's just gonna be a quick cervix check because everything was fine in the week before. But he was like, let's just do a couple once a week for a couple weeks just to see. And so I didn't take my husband because we had already heard heartbeat cervix wasn't even nearly short, nothing like perfectly zip tied clothes, as we said. So I didn't take my husband. I just was an 8 a.m. appointment. I was going in for 15 minutes real quick. I was his first patient and the nurse came in and she did the probe and she took some pictures and measurements and stuff. And she was like, oh, I'm just going to, you know, do thorough again. And while you're here and she said, do you want to hear the heartbeat? And so, so it's music to my ears, you know, never can, never turn that down. Right. So I saw the little, the little strip and I was like, can you turn it up? And she went to go do it again. And that moment, I remember her saying to me, I'm so sorry, Miss Griffiths. Um, mm. I'm going to have Dr. O'Leary come in. And I was like, no, 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 what, what's with, you know, and no, 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 is, is it broken? Is the machine broken? Like, and I think she was wanting Dr. O'Leary to tell me, but I kind of put her in a space where she had to answer. And so she said, there is no 
no heartbeat. Mm. And that was a moment, you know, everyone has their moment, whether we all know where we were at, we remember the smells of the room, we remember what you're wearing, you remember everything on the walls, you remember everything. That was a moment my whole world had just stopped. There is no heartbeat. And so um, Dr. Leary came in. I let out a scream that I can only describe as a mother crying for her baby. Mm -hmm. And I just, um, I, in my mind, like I, I wasn't going in for that, right? I just heard the heartbeat. My husband's not with me. Like they're wrong. The machine's broken. Something's wrong. And so he came in and I just remember telling him, no, she's wrong. You know, I had, I had all kinds of feelings, right. And looking back, I felt so bad for the nurse. Like, like, I'm so sorry, you know, but I was just, I was mad. I was angry. I was sad. I was no, she has to be wrong. The machine and her are wrong, you know? And I told Dr. O'Leary, you do it. No, I trust you. You, you show her she's wrong, you know? Right. It's that shock. It's that shock. That shock. And I don't believe you mentioned it, but you had had a loss. Oh, yes. We did this. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. And had that loss. Yeah. And had kind of decided maybe, maybe we don't want to try it. Like you were in that space. And so, not that it's not devastating anyway, because it's devastating, but it's just another level of devastation to have that hope like okay we lost and maybe we won't do this again and then <sighs> well and all my other losses my symptoms started going away so it like made that made sense just a loss I don't think loss ever makes sense but right it was okay oh wow why am I feeling good today kind of thing mm-hmm. where in the office that morning and in my car in the parking garage I threw up I was still very sick. My breast still hurt drastically. I still had every symptom that you would think would be a healthy pregnancy. Right. So the element of shock where I was like, oh, no, no. And they were like pretty much right after they felt that right after I left, you know, like it had been, I had lost a little bit ago, like right after hearing the heartbeat. So this last week, I've been miserably sick and I just was like, couldn't believe it. Like they had to be wrong because I was so sick still. Right. Right. And I felt so pregnant still and so many pregnant symptoms that, yeah, no, no, no. And we just, we just had confirmation and my cervix was closed. Yeah. Everything else was, you know, like I looked down and there's like, there was no bleeding, obviously, at this point. There was no, my cervix is closed. And so, Dr. O'Leary, I will never be able to thank this man because what happened in the room that morning, I feel the world needs to know in the sense of he sat with me and cried with me mm. and sat in that ultrasound room for hours. And he, we cried for a little bit and then the shock. And then at one point he opened the door and told 
the nurses to cancel his patients. Wow. And they kind of were like, but you have, and he was like, cancel them. I was at that moment, my baby mattered. Yes. You know, he had, he had moms out there, right. That had healthy pregnancies that potentially were 36 weeks. But in that moment, I was still a mother and I, my baby still deserved and mattered and deserved space and time and medical attention. And I deserved a provider still versus, okay, well it's over. So I got to go to the next one that has one in it, you know, like, right. That could have, if he had just, okay, the nurse will take care of you and tell your options moving on. Like that would have caused me a lot of trauma and grief in that moment. But he sat with me and validated me. And he actually ended up sharing about his wife's previous loss. And I'll never forget, I think I've told you, but I'll never forget the words he said to me. He said, while I don't know your space, I know this space. Mm-hmm. I'll say it one more time. While I don't know your space, I know this space. And what he, you know, was alluding to was he's a male. He's never had a baby physically pass or lost through him. And each mother, even if you have had a loss, each mother goes through a different space, even a loss to loss, right? Child to child. And so he was in no way saying, ah, I know what this is like. I know what you're going through. But he had been a father and a OBGYN that actually had to tell his wife as he did an ultrasound where they just thought they were going to check on baby real quick, a fun little stop into the office, mm. that their child was gone. Wow. So he knew what it was like to grieve a baby, but he did not take away from my exact moment of trying to understand what I was. And those words were just so impactful. And as a provider, it just showed his level of care and understanding and the depths of it, you know, and after, and he allowed me the space. I never felt rushed to move on to what we were going to do about it. I was allowed that space to take as much time as I needed because he watched me throw up. He knew I walked in that morning very much thinking and knowing I had a healthy baby inside of me. Right. And so I took the time that I needed and there eventually became a transition space. He did not even initiate it. I said, what do we do now? Because I had never had a space where the loss didn't start on its own. And so he referred to it as a missed miscarriage where baby has passed but basically my body had not gotten the memo. And so he went through options that I could take the pills, both orally and vaginally, to induce me having delivering baby. I could do a DNC, but at the time, due to my medical history and some other concerns he had, he did not think that was the best option. Or I could wait I could wait and see what my body did. And he also introduced me to Anora. It's called Natera testing, Mm. N-A-T-E-R-A, where if I wanted to, it was an option after I passed the baby that I could collect baby and put baby in this 
think of like a urine specimen jar and send baby off for testing to see one gender and two, any genetic abnormalities. Mm. And so I had not been offered that. I don't know if it, I just didn't get offered or it wasn't available back with my previous losses, but knowing that I had the option, he also went on to inform me that because of the week I was at in the state of Florida, any loss after 10 weeks is, can file a non-viable birth certificate. And so you file it like you would through the Department of Health vital statistics, like you would a birth certificate, but it's a non-viable birth certificate, if you will, a non-viable birth. And again, back to that tangible piece, he gave me these options and choices and I didn't have to do either. If I didn't need that or want that, and I had the time to think about it, but he really, when I left there, like I felt like my provider gave me options in such an awful situation where I didn't feel like, okay, well, this is it. I just got to do this one thing. And then that's the end, you know? Right. And so he, he also for me that I could do cremation if I wanted to. And even after, if I chose to send baby back, I could get to request the specimen back and then coordinate with the funeral home to cremate baby. And so he talked to my midwife actually. So I was going to have collaborative care again and, and try for a home birth. So He spoke to Shannon, my midwife, for 30 minutes on my cell phone because I had messaged her that what had happened and she called and I said, oh, it's my midwife. Let me, I'll end it. You know, I was being respectful this time. He said, oh, please, I'll talk to her if you want. And he talked to her for 30 minutes and told her the options he had given me and he's supportive of whatever I choose, whatever her and I come up with and whatever her office needs from him and just very collaborative together and unified as a whole to support me as a grieving mother and and this baby that had passed my baby, our baby. And so he actually took me out the back exit so that I didn't have to walk through the waiting room and walked me to the car to make sure that I... Wow got out and I actually drove straight to my midwife's office. But I remember sitting in the car, like, where do you go? What do you do? Mm -hmm. Because my baby's inside of me. Like I've been rubbing my belly, you know, like praying and talking, but my baby's heart and soul was in the arms of Jesus. So where do you go? Do you just go back to work? Do you go to the grocery? Do you, how do you just, I didn't know where to go but I didn't want to go home. Right. My husband was on shift, the fire department. I don't, I don't want to go home. Right. I, I just, but where do you, where do you go? And I remember calling my midwife sitting there. I, I don't know what to do. I, I don't know where to go. I, I can't think right now. And so she was cl- very close to where I was at. And so she said, please come here. Mm. So I drove straight there and she sat and and we had lunch and she opened her calendar up to allow space and time for me. And, and then eventually my friend met me back at the house. And the days after that, we did choose as a family to wait. And it was very, very difficult space to, you know, really just carry your baby. And we didn't know how long it could be. It could be weeks. And so 
we did get the prescription for the pills just in case. So I didn't have to like go back in to get them, Mm -hmm. but we sat on them. I had a lot of reservations with doing that. I really wanted to let my body go naturally, but mentally and emotionally, it was a very tough space because while I did take a couple of days where I just grieved and was in bed, I had to take my kids to school still. Mm -hmm. And we, we were very open in sharing our stories. So everybody knew when I dropped off my kids at school or when I took my kids to a play date or whatever, like my baby's body's inside of me, but his eventually found out he was a boy. His heart and soul is with Jesus. And so mentally it was a very hard space to be in. Yeah. It was 10 days. We, for 10 days, we had to walk that. I tried pumping to see if I could you know, stimulate things. We tried different herbs and we ended up taking a couple of days and just not doing anything. And we went to Palm Beach where my family's at and just really ocean. And at some point in there, maybe it was day five or six, I kind of transitioned mentally into a space of, I am still holding my baby inside of me. And I know even though my baby's life is with Jesus now, future. There was a space where I knew I was going to grieve another grief after I passed baby. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. so I just kind of, I called a friend up who was a photographer because I had, you know, a little bump at that point. And so she actually got some silhouette, but I didn't want a picture. I wasn't, you know, obviously like happy and smiling for like maternity pictures. Right. But she got these beautiful black and white silhouette, just just my silhouette. You can't see my face or like characteristics of it. And we allowed my son to take pictures with my belly and kiss baby brother inside. And, and we took baby to the beach and took some pictures and we had a little staycation and prayed over my belly and God's timing on this little baby's physical body's birth. And so looking back as a woman, the strength that God gave me Mm -hmm. to be on work calls or drop my kids off at school or carrying my baby. Like I remember walking through Target and there was a mom that was very pregnant, probably 30 something weeks. And she was every, you know, a couple people, oh, you know, how cute, you know, congratulations, whatever, because we were walking up to her. And meanwhile, I have baby inside of me, but no one can see or tell, and, but baby's gone to be with Jesus. And, and just kind of the back and forth space, like mentally was just very, very challenging. Yeah. Um, I don't, looking back, I don't regret it. I'm very thankful for those 10 days. They were a huge 10 days of growth, but long story short, we did go into my body, you know, went into labor and, and got the memo, if you will. And I was at Costco and I felt kind of wet down there. And so I told my husband, I think we need to get home. And so it was probably six o'clock at night. And from 6 p.m. to 6 a.m., it was a very long 12 hours of my body trying to expel and cramping down and bleeding and clots and everything. And eventually, which one thing like I didn't even think of when I was sitting on the toilet is using something right to catch the sack and everything in. And so we thankfully had a strainer that we 
didn't really care about. So we used that and, and then we had baby boy, you know, in the early hours of uh, March 16th. And then we entered that space of grieving and exhaustion from being up all night and being in pain and all that. And, and it's a different pain too. I think when we're miscarrying or giving birth in a stillbirth, that those contractions just take on a whole nother level of pain because we're releasing our baby from our body and it's over. There's not that pregnant, like I'm teary as I'm saying it. There's just not. There's no cry at the end. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good way to fit it. Thank you. Yeah. I remember being in the bathtub and when I, you know, my whole stomach was just contracting and cramping down, right? You know, I had Tyler and I was able to use Mackenzie for my doula. And I remember as as she was doing hypnobirthing with me, her saying like each contraction brings you one step closer to your baby. Mm-hmm. And I remember going through the waves and surges of a full-term birth, waiting and going through it with yes, like, let me embrace this because I'm bringing this baby and I'm going to hear that cry versus with Lucky is what we named baby boy in March. I remember saying to my husband as they would come on, what do I say? I can't, everything I know is a birth doula, like this contraction yeah. brings you on so closer. What do I say? Like I would go through it and I'm like, no, no, I, I shouldn't be feeling this right now. I should be laying in bed, resting and being sick from a pregnancy, like there was no happy ending. There was going to be no cry. There was going to be my cry. Right. There was going to be my cries and my screams, but there was not going to be that baby that comes out crying. And there was no that when it gets brought to your chest in that moment of joy and happiness and, and tears, but tears of joy, that was not to come. And so each contraction. There was no, like, there was nothing to hold on to. Right. Just the minutes kept passing. And I remember it only being like nine o'clock. And I just kept thinking, I can't, like, I can't do this anymore because it felt like there was no reason to do it. You know, like I would go through 48 hours if there was a reason, but it just felt like there was like, yes, baby, the sack had to come out. I had to pass it, but there was no reason in my mind at that time for this to be happening. So there was, there was no motive for me to just keep going. And so it was very, I had to find a very inner strength to go through 12 hours of it. Mm -hmm. Midnight came and 2am came and 3am came. And, you know, I think it was interesting to remember God doesn't give us sweet more than we can handle. And, and what he gives us, even though it will be a lot, he will help us through it. And I remember getting to like the five or something hour. And I remember screaming, God, like, I'm done. I'm done. You know, my midwife had been helping us through it all. Like, okay, do we get to a space? And I said, Lord Jesus, I can't go much longer. And so we said, we agreed with the midwife, we'd give it until. 8 a.m. I think we said. And then if not, we would go in or look at other options. And so I remember just praying to him, like, I have gone through all of this, the carrying, the finding out, then the carrying, now all these hours of labor. You know my heart. I don't want to go to the hospital. 
because I'm going to leave that building without a baby mm-hmm. and all that comes with the hospital and COVID restrictions and potentially seeing another pregnant mom in that hospital, like that trauma that I could potentially walk into, like was such a fear of mine. And so I just, I just cried out to him. I said, father, please allow this baby to come at this home, but know that I am running thin. And so I'm running on you only. And so he heard my cry because baby boy came six o'clock hour Mm. and there was still like cramping that happened in the hours and days after, but nothing like those strong convulsion, like contractions, if you will, trying to expel baby. And so once the sack passed, there was definitely a sense of relief. Yeah. I feel like those contractions though, they're not only contractions of your uterus, they're like contractions of your heart and soul. This is just so emotionally painful and it makes those physical contractions so much more intense. So much worse. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. I think like because my heart physically hurt and my body grieved, my entire body from head to toe grieved, it definitely intensifies the physical kind of contractions that are going on. And honestly, like in that moment, those contractions felt worse Mm -hmm. than contractions of Ethan and Tyler combined. Yeah. Now, if you had an actual meter that you could measure certain pain, you know, probably not, right? But at that moment, in that amount of bodily grief, it felt so intense and so overwhelming. But I don't, you know, of course people ask, do I regret like, or look back and wish I would have done it differently knowing like, like a DNC. And for me, no, I am very okay with my decision. I think I tell moms like, you have to be okay with your decision. And sometimes moms think of what that could look like and they don't want to go through that. And Mm -hmm. it, it doesn't make you any less weak or anything or taking the easy way out or anything by going through a DNC or, or pills or any option that all of them come with different lists of reasons why. And depending on your health and medical records, potentially different risks and pros and cons. And that's just something you have to kind of weigh out with your family and your medical providers. And so for me, I, we made the best choice at the time with our providers and we were okay with that decision. And even after all that pain and grief, um, I still, you know, wouldn't have, I was very thankful that I could stay home. And, you know, some people don't want it in their home. They don't want those maybe memories in in their house or in their bedroom. Right. But I did, I wanted that home space to be able to have that time to go through that. And so we sent baby off for testing and baby came back and took baby to the funeral home and cremated baby. And did file for the the non-viable birth certificate, which again, just, I guess, gave me tangible items. And we actually learned that you can, I didn't know this, but you can put things with baby to cremate. So we loved ones, family, and had sent different things, whether it be flowers or teddy bears or onesies and rainbows and Bible verses. And my sister-in-law was beautiful. She had a blanket from her loss, my niece or nephew that is with the Lord uh, that she had through her loss, a little baby blanket. She actually wrote a note to her nephew, Lucky, Mm. to be cremated with him. And so, oh, wow. Yeah, those things were at the time, like 
maybe, you know, obviously I was thankful, but I was in a grieving space. So there were little things and it was nice, but like looking back, they were very impactful to that, to Lucky's story and to our journey. As I sit in, in our unfinished nursery where we still hold hope and I look at his ashes, like it's knowing that not only is it his ashes, but it is our family's love surrounding him mm-hmm. and with all the different tokens and tangible items sent. And while, yes, we know that his spirit is with the Lord and these are ashes, it just, when I close my eyes and, and picture his ashes, like I just feel like all of our family is holding his sweet little body in one little tiny jar. Mm. And it just reminds us like God brings us in to this world. And at some point he takes us and, but through it all, his hand and the people he blesses us with is always there. And even though in his short little 11 weeks and one day of life, he's still held both here on earth and in heaven. And so that, um, that was our journey with our, our little lucky and learned a lot of new things. I think it, I've been a provider at that point, gosh, how many years? So maybe seven years and understanding the magnitude of like a missed miscarriage and having to carry after Mm. and just the differences that that one, that this loss brought but at the same time, the blessing of seeing everyone because I was so vocal and shared my story on both Facebook and Instagram. And I shared the rawness of it. And I went live multiple times during when we were carrying and everything. And I did it because I felt like you don't hear that side, right? Right. A mom goes and has a miscarriage and she bleeds and whatever she chooses to do with it. And then like, that's it. You go back to work and that's that, or you go back to being a mom or, or just life. And so I feel like, and everyone, Oh, so sorry. And that's that, but no one really, I had not seen a lot of like outside of being a provider, but just as outside of being a provider, the true grief that happens and that it's not just one type of you get up one morning, you go to pee and there's blood, you lose, that's it. You know, like miscarriage can look so different and there's so many different options and ways things can happen. And anyway, so I was really honored to be able to share and the amount of moms that have since like reached out to me that whether they previously had gone through a loss and was so thankful that they felt somewhat normal in what they went through because no one really talks about all the emotions behind it. So they just thought, oh, I must have like really been excessive with my emotions because no one else shares about that. So they felt really validated. Yeah. And then even moms that have had previous, like go currently going through a loss since March, just they've been so thankful that like they felt like they could reach out to me and have someone that while I didn't know their exact space, I know this space of loss. And so we turned to a lot of the resources we had in the past, whether Rachel's gift, a support group and a virtual right now support group that meets on Thursdays that I attend down to Molly Bears, which provides bears in honor of miscarriage and 
infant loss and stillbirth. You know, we just turn to a lot of those resources to kind of help us through the grieving process. And then, you know, a lot of people kind of brought up a lot of questions about like, where are you going to try after? And it's kind of hard at first when people come to you and are like, oh, you're going to try? And you're like, I just lost. Right. Taking that time. But I also struggled with, I wanted to try right away. And I almost felt kind of some shame behind like, you were so sad, it seemed. How were you able to just move on that quickly to trying again? I got asked. And at first I was like taken back by it, but I thought, you know, that that is a valid question. Like how can, and I think there's, as a professional, I've walked with moms that some moms have had a loss and that's not a journey they ever embark on again. And they're okay with that. They decide not to try again. It was that, and that's okay. And then I have other moms that they want to try like the week after. And again, back to right and wrong and grieving and neither are right or wrong. Both are okay. If you and your provider talk and you guys decide to try soon after, like I don't think it invalidates or minimize your pain and grief any less than if you waited five years. Right. I still carry the loss, even though we did try again. The test came back unlucky and we found out he had trisomy 15, Mm. which is a very rare chromosomal abnormality that he had an extra tri being three chromosome of chromosome 15. And they were able to determine that it came from my, the extra chromosome came from my egg. When talking to the providers, we did learn that that can be a very rare and fluke kind of situation, if you will. And that obviously my cervix was fine and HG was managed to a degree. So they didn't, it is incompatible with life, trisomy 15. So as rare as it is, it is also even more extremely rare to even ever see that again. Mm. So it gave us hope and faith that trying again right after would be an okay decision. And in conjunction with the providers, we agreed that we were going to try again. And so We tried in May and I remember getting my first period. Mm. We'd been trying and I had a couple like symptoms the day, I think I had actually messaged you maybe, I had a couple symptoms the days leading up to when I was going to maybe test. And while I knew that it might take a couple of times and all that, like I'd still entered a space of trying again. So getting that first period one brought up feelings of the seeing the blood, you know, and everything from the loss, but then it also brought up feelings of grief on we're not pregnant. Yeah. And so I really just had to like periods after losses can be very difficult. Yes. 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 (laughs) Very difficult. And so I, went through that, you know, you go through a little bit of bitter feeling. Like I, first of all, I shouldn't be having a period because I should be another couple of months pregnant. You know, when I got pregnant in January, I thought, Oh, I'm not going to have a period until October plus right. Until I'm right. Whenever it comes in my breastfeeding journey. So I packed up the tampons and pads when I was pregnant with lucky. And so here I have to pull them out and I shouldn't be. And, and then I should be pregnant again because we were trying. And so it was 
lots of losses and grief and space that I had to sit in and process. Then we tried in June. And so we found out in July that we were pregnant, early July. And my pregnancy was great. I barely felt sick. And I had spent a lot of time really just speaking to the earth and to God, like, I am going to have a HG-free pregnancy. I promise it's free. I am going to like, I know that God can work miracles and I was going to have a joyful pregnancy. And so I really just spent a lot of time in that. And so when it happened, it was very difficult because I went back and forth of, well, like, is this meaning something's wrong because I'm not feeling symptoms or, you know, is God blessing me with a sickness-free pregnancy? Right. And so I had like sore breasts and sleepiness and that kind of thing. So I thought, well, maybe this is that because I'm still having symptoms, but maybe I'd feel queasy at best, but not nauseous and not really throwing up. And so we got into the midwife and ran blood work and got things back. And we actually had booked to go to Ohio. We told our family, we got these little lucky scratch off cards and told our family that we're having a baby due in March, which our due date was actually going to be March 16th, 2022, which would have been Mm. a date of Lucky's loss. And so, Mm. wow. Yeah. Wow. So here's our rainbow baby. You know, and our announcement was blessed by our rainbow, but we will never forget our storm. You know, we entered a space and I, so we booked a trip to Ohio. I flew on a plane. Like I didn't really feel sick. And while we were away, like everything was great. And yeah, I was taking it easy. And the day before we were leaving, I wiped once and it was like, hmm, is that a tinge or something? I was like, just feelings. Even as you say that, all the feelings are rushing back. Yeah. It all came rushing back. But then that was in the morning of Sunday and the rest of the day, every time I kept going, I was like peeing if I didn't even have to pee just to wipe again. Right. Right. Is everything okay? Let me check. check. Yeah. Let me check. Like I just walk in the bathroom sometimes and just peek at my underwear. Mm -hmm. And so nothing all day, nothing. So I was like, oh, maybe it was just tinged all the paper, you know, like whatever. And then Sunday late night, another little tinge, definitely more tinged and streaky. And so sent pictures to my midwife and she was like, okay, but you know, you can have this and still be okay. And and then Monday morning, um, I woke up bleeding mm-hmm. and I still, Michelle, like held onto the space of maybe it's, um, what's it, subchronic hemorrhage or whatever, where sometimes right. people bleed. Like right. I was like, I was holding on to all hope. Like, no, 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 no. Even though like I didn't just go through sickness or whatever. No, this was, this was it. We already started talking about finishing the nursery again. I even thought, oh my gosh, baby would be born around March, which is around the kids' spring break, but then they'd be finishing school April, May. So I'd kind of get alone time with the baby mm-hmm. for the first, you know, little bit. And then they'd be home for the summer. But then at that point, baby would be a couple months old. We would have gotten to somewhat of a routine. Like 
I just kept, I had planned it all out. And my sister's getting married in October. I'm glad I got a dress that's a little more stretchy. It's great. Like I, I just literally in only short weeks of time, you know, seven weeks, like I had just, I strung it all together yeah. and reflected on this baby's life ahead and okay, what would we name it? And thinking, I mean, even thought when we were traveling, I was like, oh, okay, we, you know, flew up. But I remember driving in the car the day before thinking like, okay, we could move the older one's seat here. So I could put the baby's car seat here. Like you plan in the moment you peel that stick and it says pregnant. Yes. That's it. If you plan that baby's whole life. Like, Yeah, you do. You're right. That's so true. Oh my gosh. Yes. Like I remember thinking we'll have to add him onto the college plan. Like I got to make sure to do that in the time frame. And granted, I'm a planner and type A personality OCD. So I already go a little overboard with that. But even if you don't necessarily go to all the things, you in some way probably think most of the time we'll think something, you know, like, oh, it'll, baby will come around Christmas. That'll be like some kind of in the future you've thought of, oh, I have a cute bump for pumpkin pictures or whatever. You've thought of something the moment you pee on that stick most of the time. And so I was holding on to hope, holding on to hope because I had planned this was our rainbow baby. And so that whole day we're in a rental car all day. I was doing a part work, part family trip. So Monday was work stuff. And so I was in and out of offices, bleeding. I was changing my pad like every hour. Mm. And it was really taking a toll on my body because it was at like 45 minutes to an hour and soaking pads. And I knew I was getting to the point where like, I couldn't go much longer without seeking medical treatment. And I was just feeling more and more lethargic, curled up in a rental car, cramping, bleeding, public restrooms only, you know, wow. trying to push through my day because our flight wasn't until that evening. And the midwife was like, well, do you want to go to the hospital? And I'm thinking... I'm in Ohio. I don't want to go to the hospital. My husband will have to stay with the children. He can't come with me. So no, I do not want to walk into a hospital by myself, especially what happens if I lose the baby in there, not alone. Like, so I just kept pushing through and I just kept saying, I just want to get home. I just wanted to be home. I've never wanted to be home so bad in my life. Yeah. And every time I would go into these public restrooms, we didn't have anything on us. So I'd wad up tissue paper, stick my hand and have to pee into my hand mm. in case I had to catch anything. So that honestly, while Lucky's had its own traumaticness of it with being sick for so long for it to feel like nothing and the contraction portion, I was farther along. So it was definitely more intense and carrying for 10 days without baby being alive. Like that brought its own. But this, not being in the comfort of my home, having to pee all over yourself. So you, it didn't deliver it in a public restroom at yeah. Wawa or 7-Eleven or McDonald's, yeah. wherever we're at. Ugh. And then walking out after changing your pad of McDonald's to the car, like knowing that I'm at this point, you know, as much bleeding as I had that I was miscarrying was very, very emotionally taxing. And for my husband, because all he could do is drive the car and waste time. So we were going to take the kids and do this fun stuff in the afternoon. And I, we just literally had to drive from public bathroom, to public bathroom. And I'd sit in the car and he'd get the kids ice cream or something and try to buy time to get us to our flight. And at that point, I didn't want to tell my kids what was going on because 
they were so excited. They just told their family, like, I just wanted to get home and tell them. And so they see me tear up and I said, oh, mommy's having cramps today. And so we get through the day and we get to the airport. And right before we got to the airport, we got gas. So I changed my pad there. And then we return the rental car and we go and get all checked in and drop our bags off. And then we are right before TSA. I thought, well, it's been a little while between dropping off the car and the car rental and everything. Let me change again. I'll feel pretty, you know, wet and everything. So I go in and thankfully, thank the Lord, there was a family bathroom open. And so I went into the family bathroom and Daniel and the boys stayed right outside. And I went to just go pee and change my pad, go through TSA. And as I thankfully did the tissue thing, the sack and everything came out. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I left the door open, thankfully, because I, and it was kind of like looking back, I'm like, you know, how God kind of leads things, you know, and that I went into the family bathroom that I even thought to check it, that I thought to leave the door open. Like, it's kind of like subconsciously I knew. And so Daniel came in and I think the hardest part at that point, that may have been the hardest part of my motherhood journey because in my lost journey, I had this sack and baby, but on this side of TSA and I have to fly home. Mm. And I just, I put my midwife on speaker and we're standing in this family bathroom. And I just kept saying like, what do I do? I don't have anything like right before I gone home with specimen cup or whatever. And so I, what do I do? I don't have anything. I can't throw the baby away in Ohio. Like, right. I don't know what to do. Right. And my midwife's like, well, go get a cup of water. I said, I can't, I'm on this side of TSA. I can't take water through. Right. And she said, well, what about saran wrap from the restaurants or something? And I'm like, no, no everything's closed. It's night, late night, everything's closed. And so I just said, let me go. I got to figure this out. And I just stood there looking at the orange wrapper of my pad. Cause that was what I went in to do, right. Was change my pad. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wait a minute, the wrapper of the pad is kind of like, so I wrapped the sack up in that. And then I was, you know, not thinking clearly. I'm like, well, what if, do I put it in the stroller? Will they see it or again I was just lost my baby right right and we couldn't take too much time in there I couldn't really grieve and the kids are standing outside the door like we got to get through TSA we don't want to be late for our flight I need to get home at this point and so I have baby and I'm like what do I do what if they take it away from me I, I didn't know yeah. what the laws and rules I again I just wasn't in a good space right. and so I thought to myself I stood there and it was a mama instinct I thought if I was walking and lost the baby in my pants, there's nothing they can do, right? Right. You can have a blood clot in your pants. Right. I took this tissue and sack and I stuck it in my pants mm. and I carried my baby through TSA. Wow. And I got to the other side and the subway was closed, but there was a guy there. I said, can I have a cup for ice? And so I went into the restroom and I put the baby on ice in the sack. And they put Daniel and the boys in their own seats, had my own seat and carried my baby home in a subway cup. Wow. And while we were on the tram, after we got through TSA, while we were on the tram, I cramped again. And so I held my stomach, you know, and kind of that cringe. And my son, my nine-year-old, heart of gold, he says to me, never forget the words. They said, mama, mama, is baby kicking? 
can I feel the baby? Mm. Meanwhile, I'm holding baby in a subway cup. And I said, no, mommy's just, remember those little cramps? I just, I've got some cramps still going on. And so we're, get off the subway of the tram thing. And we're on one of those like people movers. And it was the first time all throughout the day I had not cried because I didn't want them. While I don't care that they see me cry, I didn't want to ruin their leg. I'd already taken away, not being able to do things. And so I was trying to let them have a good last day and not worry them. I wanted to tell them when we got home. And so they were standing on the people movers. They're right in front. And I remember putting my head in my husband's arm and just weeping. Like I couldn't hold it anymore. I could not hold it in anymore. And it wasn't loud. You know, it was just tears that were just coming down. And so we go to get off the people mover and I wipe my face real quick. And Ethan looks at me and he goes, mom, what's wrong? Why are you crying? I say, oh, buddy, we had a really good time in Ohio. We did. It was just, I was just thinking about how good we had. And I'm going to miss it here. And he said, mom, those are not tears that you're going to miss it here. Mm. But I know right now there's something you don't want to tell me. So I'll wait. And when you're ready, I know you'll tell me. Wow. And it's my nine-year-old little boy. And I, I wanted to swoop him up. And I, I wanted to tell him because we we're very open with them about loss. But I just thought to myself, I can't tell you that your baby sibling that you were so excited for and you just told all your family is in this subway cup in an airport. Yeah. yeah. I can't tell you in an airport. Like, I, I just, I can't. And so we get on the plane and they were really good. And, and we get home. And the next morning, I obviously sat down with them and said, Ethan, like, or a five-year-old, it kind of went over his head, obviously, a bit. He does every once in a while say, oh, when's the baby coming back in your belly? Mm. It affected him. Of course, he doesn't understand that dynamics exactly. But my nine-year-old had to tell him, hey, you know, remember yesterday, this is what happened and what played out. And so we grieved and we did testing again and all that. And that was like looking back, that day was... Oh, I, I do not wish that. Like while loss is hard, going through it in such a very vulnerable space because there was no hiding. You know what I mean? There was no, it's such a private moment and stuff. And I was just in the middle of the world. You know what I mean? Like I'm in the middle of an airport and in public restrooms. And it just was so challenging. And we did the we did the testing. Unfortunately, things did come back inconclusive. So Mm. You know, that is a possibility, especially with an earlier loss. So that was our, our sweet little babies over the years. Wow. Thank you so much for sharing so openly and honestly about your feelings and those decisions that I think all women that go through loss have, but we don't feel like we can talk about where we don't want to admit it and you've just shared so again open and rawly about it and I really appreciate that and I'm so sorry well, I thank you for holding that space to share and you know, I just hope other moms can somewhat feel validated or maybe know about an option they didn't have or yeah, maybe it's not even for them maybe it's for a neighbor or coworker, or colleague or someone that they embark on their journey with that they you know might just there's no right answers there's no magical pill that will take away the pain and grief but 
sometimes those little things, knowing that you're not alone, knowing that your feelings are validated, having tangible items, sometimes having paper plates, right? Mm -hmm. Sometimes those little things can really help you or someone else walk the space of one in four, you know, of miscarriage and stillbirth and infant loss. Yeah. And so what you just shared really answers one of my questions of what do you wish the listeners would know? What would you like to share with them before we close our conversation? But I want to ask too, Mm -hmm. what do you wish you had known? Wish I had known for sure. I think in my, I wish I would known in my earlier losses that I had options and I had to also through Nutera testing and stuff, like I had to kind of find that path. Like I wish I had known how it was all going to go and like timeline. Cause I was like calling them and getting the runner. Like I wish I knew, okay, this takes around this amount of time and the cremation, this is what to expect. There was a lot of that I had to navigate. And I don't want to say it was easier with our second loss. This is never easy doing testing on your baby and cremation, all that. But it was somewhat easier because, and I just had gone through it. So it was very still front of mind. But I knew, okay, it's going to be seven days. So I marked on my calendar and I called it seven days to follow up. And I knew the process of cremation. I knew what to expect going in. So I think just kind of just knowing the resources and, you know, I wish I had known kind of the timeline and some of the things to expect when you walk into the funeral home and, and just knowing that miscarriage can look different. Like I wasn't expecting that. I mean, I kind of knew from a professional side, but just knowing that it can look very different from loss to loss. Right. I wish I had known as much good as I've had come out of it. I wish I had known because I was so raw and vulnerable with Lucky and shared very openly in live videos. I wish I knew the backlash and the shame that would kind of come from that. Um, I wouldn't change it. I would still do it again because of how many I helped. But, you know, everyone definitely has opinions and they're entitled to those. But there was a lot of, and not necessarily that any of them were malicious, but sometimes people don't know what to say in loss. Right. And I think with our loss here in August, I definitely took a couple of days before I shared. Okay. Just so I could be in a little bit better space to handle someone saying, well, at least, you know, you got pregnant right away. So you can always try again. And like, while that's not a harmful comment, it's not like they said, oh, I'm glad your baby died or anything crazy. It's still like when you are fresh and you haven't had a couple days just to process and grieve, that can feel very like, yes, I did get pregnant right away, but I just had a loss, you know, like, oh, we can just try again. Or at least you have two little boys. Like at least you're blessed with two boys. Those comments in the moment can feel very invalidating to your feelings. And when you're have processed for at least a couple of days, it's just a little easier to handle and just say, yes, yes. We're so thankful for the blessings God's given us with our two little boys. It's a little bit easier to say that back versus you are like literally still in the middle of a loss. And granted, it was different because I was carrying, right? We didn't just have loss and then it's over. 
I was still caring, but having those comments said to you when your baby's still inside of you and you're in the middle of losing still, it was definitely a lot harder to, it hit more emotionally than just taking those couple of days to grieve and process before. So that was definitely one thing I wish I had known and that we did do differently with our loss. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And one of the things that I've learned in doing this grief work and bereavement work is really try to avoid the words at least. Like I've made that common practice in my life now. If I find myself saying something at least or thinking it, I stop myself. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Because while well-meaning, those words can really that follow at least can really wound someone if we're not careful. Yeah, so true. Yeah. So have you put some of that together, what some of the options are? As I was going through loss with Lucky, like I kind of put together Natera slash Anora and their website. And then if you need to reach out to a provider, which provider's that I know carry it to call them up and get it right then to go ahead and have someone go get it. Or I also kind of put steps like if you're going through a loss, like right now, get a strainer to put over the toilet or something you can potentially collect in. And then, you know, know that while you're working on, don't like stress so much about calling the doctor right away, because you could put baby like in saran wrap and put baby in the freezer until you get a testing kit. And then the funeral homes, Baldwin Fairchild's a good one. Yeah. While we used Winter Garden, there's other locations. And then, of course, the couple foundations, like Tears Foundation, stuff like that, where someone can at least walk you through that moment too. And then the link to the website where you can go for a non-viable birth certificate if it's 10 weeks or on. Right. And you can get one at 20 weeks yes. and on if you have a stillbirth, because sometimes that's so painful for families that, wait, I gave birth to a baby. Baby. Yeah. A full-term baby. And all you're giving me is a death certificate. Yeah. Yeah. So that's another law in place. Yeah. So just like some of the links to that and options you have as far as whether you want to carry at home or pills. Um, you can go to your nearest emergency room. If you have an OB provider or midwife provider that you can reach out to, like that's ideal because sometimes when you walk into the emergency room, it's a little more abrasive mm-hmm. in passive, I guess maybe it's the word of kind of like, okay, you know, it is what it is versus not that all OBs are perfect with their wording and stuff like that, but a lot of times OBs and midwives have a little bit more grace and understanding and are more gentle with their words and validity Yeah. versus the emergency room. It's kind of like, oh yeah, this happens every day, you know, kind of thing or normal or this part of life kind of thing. Sometimes ERs can be a little bit more intrusive with their words. Insensitive. Insensitive. That's the word I was looking for. And then just knowing too, that you do have the option, like as long as your bleeding center control and that kind of thing, and it's not gone on for you know, a certain amount of time that you can have that option to deliver at home, right? Because sometimes going to the hospital, if that's what you're comfortable with, then absolutely. But if you're not, because that does come with its own and on a side note, like we end up having to go in for lucky because I got an infection, but I remember hearing a heartbeat next door 
And I was like, that's why I didn't come in to deliver, you know, or to like go through this year. But I can share my notes. What I do have tried to put it together in like a timeline, like, okay, you just found out baby doesn't heartbeat or you're losing your baby, you know, currently, like you started the bleeding and here's options and what you can do and reaching out to this option versus that option. And then once baby passed, what options you have as far as testing cremation or like more private options. If you don't want to go any of that, whether it's planting a tree and bearing baby there or some different Etsy links that I found of little boxes or. Wonderful. Yeah. So if someone wanted to reach out to you for support or this resource, how could they find you? For sure. So obviously always an honor to enter someone's space, especially loss. It is coastal lactation and birth.com. And I'm also on Facebook and Instagram, coastal lactation and birth. And we'll put all of that information in the show notes and I'll put your email address in the show notes. Perfect. And we can get this information out to families as what their choices are in this, because we do have options. I love that you're doing a document. That way we have something to reference when we're going through it. It's so overwhelming. It's so overwhelming. And I think, you know, as my final takeaway, like as I went through both losses, well, all my losses, but specifically this year, I just remember thinking, while I don't wish this on someone or myself, I had to go through it. And God allowed me the space to have two beautiful babies this year that are just waiting for me. And he is using them for his glory. And since that was my journey this year, how can their story live on? How can their journey live on? Mm -hmm. And how can I, for me, make it make sense? How can I make it where it wasn't all in vain? It wasn't for nothing. Like I go back to the moment I was in labor and telling my husband, like, it's for nothing. Like I didn't want it to be for nothing. Like just, okay, it was a day. It happened on March 16, 2021. And that's it. And it was like, no, like it has to mean more. And so I just knew that I wanted to get to families and parents like resources to know all their options and choices because I was given that and I just wanted families to not, because it is overwhelming, not struggle as much to get, you know, knowing their options or worst case scenario to find out years later, oh, I wish I knew that I could have done that. Like whenever I have a mom tell me that when we hear my story, I get a little, oh, my heart feels a little, you know, burden on it and a little pain of, oh man, like, you know, they'll say, oh, I wish I met you sooner to know that I had that option. And so I think my baby's journey is to as many families as I can reach so that they can say, whether it's my story or someone else's story, someone shared with me this. And so I knew that I could do this and have these options and choices. And the more responses I get like that, and I've thankfully had those this year, unfortunately, but you know, moms reach out like, Oh, I don't know if you remember me, but you had shared your story back in March and we actually experienced a loss. And because of you, we were able to fill in the blank, whatever choice they made from my story. And I love getting those messages versus I wish I knew. I just wanted moms to know they have resources. There's many moms that can guess benefit from such an unfortunate situation, but such a beautiful story and journey. 
that God granted me with to be able to, for however short, be their mom and carry them. And I know they're waiting for me. So such a short time for God in between the loss and the time that I get to meet them again, you know, blink of an eye for him. And so I know that this short little space here, I'm still their mom. And so I feel privilege and honor to continue to share their story and journey to help others. Right, right. And their life has a purpose. Yes. It doesn't matter how long or how short life has purpose. Yep. And your baby's life has purpose and their lives are impacting other families. Yeah. So thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah, I'm so grateful to have had you here to share your journey and everything you're putting together for families. So thank you. Definitely. Thank you. And thank you all for listening. And remember that there's no right way to walk through the loss of your baby, your child, and there's no right way to grieve. And so be gentle and compassionate with yourself. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you found this episode helpful and it provided you some comfort or insights. For a list of bereavement resources or to connect with me for grief support, please visit my website at birthyservices.com backslash loss-support. You can also find me on Facebook and Instagram at Birthies Law Support. If you would like to help to support me in this work to hold space for grieving families, one of the simplest and best ways is to please follow, rate, review, and share, and share again this podcast. And please be kind, compassionate, and patient with yourself as you walk this journey of grief, remembrance, and renewed hope. Remember, there is no right way to grieve the loss of your baby or your loved one.